Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, here we go, folks. It's time to welcome to the Disk Institute of Pittsburgh Newsline the uh, Deputy Chief of Staff for Policy at the U.S. Department of Health and Human uh, Services, uh, part of Western Pennsylvania as well. Mr. Paul Mango joins us right now. Paul, great to have you on News Radio KDK. Good evening, sir. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great, Rob. Thanks for having me, and uh, greetings to all my friends and neighbors back there in western Pennsylvania. Listen, before we dive in and talk about the latest as far as COVID-19, the Pfizer news, vaccine information and therapeutics, I was talking to my radio audience about this earlier. I'm kind of perplexed on why these numbers continue to spike, and they are literally going through the roof. If there was ever a time for us to get to the bottom of this and get beyond it, it's now uh, sooner than later. Do you have any thoughts, sir, on why these numbers continue to spike? Yeah, Rob, it's, it's, there's two or three things, and I, and I have the benefit and privilege of, you know, sitting in meetings every day, every week with people like Tony Fauci and Deb Burks and, you know, some of the best in the business, Bob Redfield, who runs the CDC. And we often talk about what this virus is and why it's so confounding uh, for us. And, and it's, it's really three things, I think, that are important for the listeners to understand. One is what's called asymptomatic spread. So the vast majority of folks who are spreading this don't have a sniffle. They don't have a cold. They don't feel bad. They don't know they're spreading it. And it's a very, very large number and large percentage of folks who um, are are doing that. And it's unlike the flu or it's unlike uh, many of the other viruses that we've experienced. So that's point number one. I think you combine that with what um, Dr. Fauci once said, which is, He's never in his career, and he's been around a long time, has seen a virus that affects different folks so differently. And what I mean by that is even if you contract this virus, there's a very large number of folks who, you know, as I said, are either asymptomatic or they don't have symptoms. But then there's a small percentage that it's truly devastating for. So, you know, there's so there's just a very large number of Americans who, first of all, don't know they have it, don't know they're spreading it. And third, you know, don't really feel like it's, it's dangerous for them. You take those two factors and you add the, the third one, which is, I think, just a, a function of where we are in this. And that is uh, complete fatigue uh, on the part of the American people with, you know, dealing with this. It's been effectively, I mean, for, for us at Health and Human Services, it's been since January 3rd. That's when we first learned about this. But for most Americans, you know, February, March timeframe is when this thing really became a pandemic. And I think people very diligently wanted to um, do the right thing for weeks, and then it turned into months. And then I think just folks just got tired of being locked up. So you put all those three together, 
and you have where we are now. Now, just by the way, Rob, I think and I'll, I'll pause in a moment. But take your time. Uh, if you th- if you think it's bad here, it's actually worse in Europe right now, and they locked down for like six months. Mm. But uh, I, I saw the figures the other day. France, on a per capita basis, has two and a half times the number of cases we have. So if we have a hundred thousand in a day, their equivalent would be two hundred and fifty thousand based on their population. So it's not just the U.S. It's the whole kind of set of Western democracies where freedom and liberty and those types of things are so important. People just don't like being locked up. So it's it's very unfortunate, but I know we want to talk about vaccines and therapeutics. The, the, the one bright spot, even without the vaccines, Rob, is the following, and that is the case fatality rate, meaning the number of folks who actually die as a numerator uh, and the denominator is the number of cases has dropped by 85 percent since March and April. So in other words, we've learned to take care of folks. And this is in every age cohort, above 70, 45 to 69, below 18. It's dropped substantially because our wonderful healthcare system, and you know we have some great providers there in Western Pennsylvania, they've learned how to take care of patients so much better that the odds of living have gone up tremendously, even if you, even if you wind up in the hospital. Testing, early detection have anything to do with uh, people not dying as frequently as they once did, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we are doing, uh, you know, Admiral Girard is a part of HHS. He's the kind of the testings are. We're doing, last week we averaged 1.1 million tests a day. Uh, if you go back to March and April, it might have been 15,000. That's how rapidly the United States kind of private sector testing system has ramped up, you know, with help from the government. We've made some big investments, but we're doing 1.1 million tests a day, which is beyond what any country in the world is doing. Okay, let's, uh, by the way, Paul Mango is here, Deputy Chief of Staff for Policy at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Let's talk about COVID-19 vaccine, the Pfizer story, therapeutics, and also something I know you're going to want to talk about, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services announcing plans to allocate initial doses of Eli Lilly and others. So talk about those stories, if you can, a little bit, Paul. Yes. So, Rob, let me put this into perspective. Prior to COVID-19 vaccine development, the fastest time in the history vaccine development. The history was Ebola, and that was about five years, okay? From the time we identified the virus to the time we had a safe and effective vaccine, five years. We're at 10 months from the identification of COVID-19. We will have a vaccine in the market uh, in early December by all forecasts. So basically 10 to 11 months. This is the most, I think history will record this, Rob, at some point to, to be the equivalent of the Manhattan Project, of the Apollo missions in terms of its, its technological prowess and the, the power of public-private partnership. This is really the private sector in the U.S. doing this. It's Pfizer, Moderna. These are U.S. companies, but very much supported and enabled uh, by the federal government. It's just, it's just extraordinary, and Americans should be very proud of what's happened and it's fast, but it's also safe and effective. And we have a little saying inside of health and human services, we're cutting idle time, we're not cutting corners at all. This will be a safe and effective vaccine. In fact, you know, Pfizer reported the other day that its vaccine was 94% effective. Now, just to put this into perspective, the annual flu vaccine, Rob, is about 50% effective. So this is a result that no one was expecting and it's just uh, extraordinary, and, it, and again, it's the it's the kind of the all of America response to a 
pandemic. It's HHS, it's Department of Defense. General Gus Perna is deeply involved in the logistical aspects of this and the whole Army Defense Logistics Agency. It's working with the private sector. It's us working with states and like the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania on distribution. So it's, 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 I just get very excited talking about it because it's an extraordinary example of American exceptionalism and no one else in the world has done this. And we're going to not only save American lives, we're going to save lives around the world with these vaccines. All right. So, it's good yeah, news go for sure. No, Deputy Chief of Staff for Policy at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Uh, Paul Mango is on the Disk Institute of Pittsburgh Newsline, FM 100.1, and of course, AM 1020, News Radio 1020, KDK. Any more on the news with Eli Lilly? And then just kind of summarize a few things with me, then we'll take yep. a break and come back. Go ahead. Yeah, the Lilly, uh, so Operation Warp Speed is dealing with both vaccines and therapeutics, and Eli Lilly is what's known as a monoclonal antibody. And, and that's a fancy term, Rob, but what it means is, if it's injected and if you're infected with the virus, or even if you're not, quite honestly, it can be used prophylactically, which means you're not even infected yet. Um, this is These are like artificial antibodies against the COVID virus that right away get your immune system up to, up to speed faster than your body can. And they prevent the, the really deleterious impact of the, of the virus. And uh, Eli Lilly just got an emergency use authorization uh, on Monday uh, night. Uh, by, I'm sorry, was that Monday or Tuesday? I think it was Monday night. Monday night. And already, I mean, I, I checked this because I'm deeply involved. We've already shipped thousands of doses out to many places around the country, and they're already being infused into patients. That's how quickly, again, the logistics of this was organized, planned, and now delivered. Patients are getting this after less than 48 hours of time since the emergency use authorization was granted. It's, it's a it's a lifesaver. Just just to give you a statistic in the clinical trials, it dropped in certain categories of patients, hospitalizations by 70%. So it's given on an outpatient basis before you ever get into the hospital. And the trick here is knowing when you have early symptoms and if you think you're, you know, you're in that category of being vulnerable, you got to get this quickly. Listen, it's not over yet, but uh, last question on this topic, Paul Mango. Lessons learned. What have we learned, do you think, as the, uh, as, the, as the globe continues to learn? And hopefully we will get to the finish line very soon of this global pandemic. What have we learned? Rob, I think um, we've learned that it's uh, despite all of the technology we have, despite all of the knowledge we have gained in the last seven or eight months and all that we've adapted extremely difficult to control human behavior. I mean, um, uh, it is it is very, very difficult. And uh, uh, humans are social animals. They don't like being isolated. They don't like being separated. And it's not, again, I come back to where we started. It's not your rational behavior. Um, we've heard of, of seniors. If you're 88 years old, think about this, and let's have our listeners think about this. If you're 88 years old and okay. you think in any case, this is the last Thanksgiving you're going to be able to spend with your children and your grandchildren. Are you going to go to that Thanksgiving dinner or are you going to stay in the nursing home? And is that irrational for you to do that? Um, these are the stories we're hearing. People are telling us, yeah, you can say to us, don't, don't have Thanksgiving, don't experience Thanksgiving with your family. But grandma's saying, this is the last chance I have because I'm not going to live much longer. Don't tell me what to do. And then if it's the 18-year-old, they're saying, listen, none of us is getting sick from this anyway. Why should I stay home? So it's not irrational behavior, but it's very, very difficult to control. And I think uh, that's a lesson we've all learned. 
Well said. Paul Mango is here, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. He's the Deputy Chief of Staff for Policy. Also a military veteran, 82nd Airborne and a graduate of uh, West Point from uh, Gibsonia, his home here in western Pennsylvania when he's not in the nation's capital, and he has his roots in Liverpool, New York. We're going to talk to him about this Veterans Day and his time in the military and at West Point. That's next on Rob Pratt Wednesday night, News Radio KDKA. All right, here we go, folks. Uh, One more segment tonight uh, before we step aside and join you another day. Don't forget CBS Radio News coming up at the top of the hour. My guest has been on the disc at the Tudor Pittsburgh Newsline, Deputy Chief of Staff for Policy at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Paul Mango. We've been talking about COVID-19. Yes, he was also, and you may recognize the name, former candidate for the governor of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, and there are many, including me, that hope that that part of his life may reinvent itself somewhere else down the road. Uh, Studied and got his master's in business at uh, Harvard University. But the thing that really jumped out, the 82nd Airborne and also that degree, of course, from the military academy that I'm very fond of. And I have a number of friends that are connected to it. And I want to talk to him on this Veterans Day about his time there and his time in the military. So, sir, this uh, is a very significant day in your household, is it not? Yeah, Rob, absolutely. And, and you know, we don't celebrate it, but we reflect a lot. I, I don't really think Veterans Day is a day to celebrate, so to speak, although I think we should celebrate our veterans. But if you are a veteran, I think you spend most of the day reflecting. And and for me, the family, you know, my father is a veteran, uh, was a veteran. My uncle fought in World War II. Uh, My father-in-law fought in World War II. I have three brothers-in-law, one of whom jumped into Normandy with the 82nd Airborne Division, believe it or not. My wife comes from a large family, and she was one of the youngest, and uh, her oldest sister married a gentleman who was older than her, he, he literally was a medic in the 82nd Airborne Division, jumped into Normandy. I had a, a sister-in-law who was a nurse midwife in the Army. And then, of course, my, my dear wife, who's the class of 82 at West Point, and my daughter, Hope, my second daughter, who's the class of 2014. So Veterans Day for us is a family affair, uh, for sure. But I also you know, think a lot about um, the soldiers uh, with whom I served, as you mentioned, the, the great paratroopers of the 82nd Airborne Division, the mission of that division, at least when I was there, was to be anywhere in the world within 48 hours prepared to fight. And that meant you had to be ready. That meant you had to train uh, all over. We were up at Winter Warfare School. We were training in the jungles, in the desert, because you didn't know where you were going to be 48 hours later. And by the way, we were talking about vaccinations. I I joke with folks that I think I'm vaccinated against everything known to man, including the, the Black Plague, because when you're in the 82nd Airborne Division and you could go anywhere in the world, you have to be vaccinated against things, uh, all over the world. So, you know, it was a great privilege and the camaraderie of, of uh, the soldiers in a unit like that that has such a strong mission and important mission is something I reflect on. But I also, Rob, I think it's important to reflect on the, the current members of the military. I know they're not veterans yet, but, you know, we've been at war for almost 20 years. We have soldiers today deployed in over 100 countries around the world. And you think about them on a day like this, I mean, there's a lot of lonely days. Um, I think about their families, the sacrifice their families are making as well. People underestimate what military families have to go through in terms of the separation, the uncertainty, the anxiety. Will mom or dad or, or whatever, my brother, my sister, come home? So, I mean, there's just a lot to reflect on. And I think at the at the end of the day, I think we should just all feel so grateful for these folks who volunteer to serve. Let's remind folks and your listeners, this is an all-volunteer 
military. And uh, therefore, you know, virtually everyone in it is a, is a great patriot who wants to serve uh, his or her country. So it's a great day to reflect. And I'm just so proud to be uh, an American uh, and having uh, these veterans and active duty military folks, uh, all that they've done to, to protect our freedoms. Paul Mango, just for a couple of more minutes, sir, I just have to ask you, you know, there may be some parents or some young people thinking about a future uh, for their child or themselves in the military. And I like to talk to a lot of people who have served about that first night, that initial night in the military or in some sort of military setting. And I know it's been a few years, but when you think about that first night in that bunk at West Point uh, and wondering what the future would hold for you, uh, I'm sure a lot of things went through your mind, but I got to believe that everything that you hope to accomplish because of that venture, that initial step that took you to West Point, has really come true in more ways than one. And it continues to be a big part of your life every day today, whether it be in your own household, as a husband, as a father, or what you're doing every day with the Department of Health and Human Services. So that night was a giant leap of faith, was it not? Oh, it sure was, Rob. You talked about uh, me growing up in Liverpool, New York, where I graduated from Liverpool High School on June 28, 1977. I was at West Point on July 6, 1977. So there couldn't have been a bigger cultural shock or shift in my life, right? Uh, eight days out of high school or whatever it was. Um, and arriving there, I have to say my head was spinning the first night wondering what the heck I got myself into. But just, you know, as with any experience, it very quickly grows on you in a, in a very different direction. And, you know, it's one of the greatest leadership institutions in the world. And I, I think the, the paraphrasing of its mission is, is the following. When America sends its sons and daughters into harm's way, they have to be led by officers of character and competence. That's basically the mission of West Point. And being part of that is, a, is an awesome responsibility. Um, and they teach you about that. And I have to say for the, you know, mothers and fathers uh, out there listening, um, having their sons and daughters led by West Point graduates and Naval Academy graduates, and, and, and by the way, ROTC graduates and everything else, it's really uh, should give them some comfort that um, they're some of the best trained officers in the world and they understand leadership and they understand their awesome responsibility. So I'm so fortunate, and I thank God that uh, I had the opportunity to go to West Point to experience that, to serve my country, and, of course, to meet my wife, <laughs> which is where I met Dawn. Hey, that's a great, happy ending. I Listen, I appreciate your time, sir, and thank you for everything that you're doing in Washington, and hopefully soon we'll have great news when it comes to ending this pandemic, okay? Okay, Rob, uh, and again, greetings to all my friends and neighbors back there in western Pennsylvania. All right. Looking forward to seeing you. There he goes, Paul Mango. You know, he came to the Feast of the Seven Fishes show a couple of years ago, and um, my general manager, uh, Michael Spacicola, actually filmed a social media uh, clip that I did with him, and I must tell you, it was one of the highlights of my life. He's not just a good person. He is a great person. He is a patriot, and uh, here is one person that hopes someday uh, he will consider running for office again because I think he has a lot to do and a lot to say and he's obviously getting it every day done in Washington. But please, ladies and gentlemen, on this day that we salute veterans, make it a part of your life every day. Until next time, good night.